Now turn with me in your Bible to Galatians, the sixth chapter, please. Galatians chapter number six. I did something tonight, friends, that I never remember doing in my life before. I walked out without my Bible. Never can remember ever doing that before. So I had to gather up one down at the door there uh, to use as a substitute. But I noticed there's papers and writings and one thing and another in it, and I don't know who owns it, for there's no name on it, the Bible. And so I'm just making it clear that if I read something or more than one thing that's not right tonight, you'll know it's somebody else's and not mine. I didn't write it at all. But uh, that's a first for that to happen, and I trust it won't happen again. You feel as if you were without your sword when you come and forget your Bible like that. But I remember leaving it up on the table, letting the little dog out, and I forgot to lift it. But there it is, Galatians, the sixth chapter. And our reading will be brief tonight, friends. I only want to read verse number 14. A very honest comment coming from the lips of this great man, the Apostle Paul, the man that was uh, going down the Damascus Road, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And he got marvelously and wonderfully converted to God. Every time I read the story of Saul of Tarsus, I just feel like praying, Lord, do it again. How we need men to be raised up like that today who will do what this man did. Go on to the end, preaching Christ and him crucified. But here's what he says in this verse. But God forbid that I should glory. Then he seems to have a little bit of a rethink. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm going to glory, says Paul, then that's where it will be. In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, not by it, but by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. People ask you sometimes why people don't seem to go on today the way they ought to do. Well, I think you'll find the answer there. The world put Paul on a cross, and because the world did that with him, he did that with the world. He separated himself completely from it and onto the service of the Lord. That's a brief reading. God will add his blessing to his own most precious word. I want to talk to you tonight in the meeting, friends, about a subject that's very dear and special to the heart of those who know the Lord as their Savior. And if you're here tonight and you don't know him, and you can't understand maybe some of the things I'm going to say, you need to open your life and your heart tonight to the Lord Jesus and bring the Savior in. And the Bible says, as many as received him, mind you, it's only them 
that receive him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Tonight, I want to talk about the cross. The hymn writer said, and rightly so, of course, in the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the racks of time, the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. Many, many other quotations we could make this evening concerning what others have said about the cross. But I believe this one, coming from the pen of Paul, is one of the most unique that was ever printed. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, let me say this to you this evening, friends, that the cross is, was, and ever shall be God's centerpiece. Eric Sohr, the great German theologian, has written a book entitled From Eternity to Eternity. And in that book, he refers to the cross as the center of eternity. In other words, everything from the cross moved toward it. And everything since the cross moves backward to the cross, the center of eternity. It's God's centerpiece. When you come to the Bible concerning the Lamb of God, for example, there are many examples we could give. But concerning the Lamb of God, who was our Lord Jesus, who went to the cross and suffered and bled and died, the just one, for we the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You can see from Genesis to Revelation, the lamb that was kneeled to the cross. When you come, for example, into the book of Genesis, you remember Abraham and Isaac are heading up the mount, and the intention in going up the mount was that Abraham might offer his only begotten son a burnt offering to God. I don't know whether you've ever sat down and thought about that. You see, out of all the offerings in the New Old Testament, and there were quite a few, there was only one that was 100% for God. That was the burnt offering. And Abraham was told this by God. Abraham, I don't want part of Isaac. I want him lot, stock, and barrel. I want them all. What a test that was. But I don't want to go into too many details tonight, but you remember, like the father and the son at Calvary, they went, both of them together. And when they were ascending up the mount, Isaac turned and he looked at his father and he said, Here is the wood and the fire, and all the necessities for the burnt offering, 
But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham turned round and he looked at him, and our Bible says this, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now you know, if you're familiar with your Bible tonight, it wasn't a lamb, but it was a ram that was caught in the horns, in the thicket by the horns. So what's the difference there? Or why did Abraham say that? Well, you could read that a different way. God will provide himself a lamb, or God himself will be the lamb provided. That's exactly what it means. Because our Lord Jesus Christ was God manifest in flesh. God in our likeness made. Oh, may we understand that he who made the wandering worlds appears as lowly man. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And in the person of his only begotten son, God himself was the lamb provided. That's the lamb prophesied. I must go on for the, there's quite a few of these. When you come into Exodus, you find there the Passover lamb. And I don't care tonight where you read in Exodus. You can read as much and as often as you like. You'll never read about lambs. It's always just the lamb. Now, on that particular night, there were thousands of lambs that were slain. But as far as God was concerned, there was just one. Why? Because the one that was prophesied is now going to be typified. He's coming out in type and in shadow. Now God said this concerning the lamb that was offered that day in Egypt. Listen, he said to Moses and through Moses toward the, to the nation of Israel, I want a lamb to be offered without spot blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. The lamb had to be as perfect as possible. My friends, what a type and a shadow that is of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this lovely verse today, just more or less meditating on this and considering it in my own heart. He was holy, Godward. He was harmless, manward. He was undefiled, inward, and he was separate from sinners, worldward. What a person he was. Bible tells me he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You couldn't hardly fathom anybody who would try to tell you that the Lord Jesus would do anything but good. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them, and yet they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! We'll not have this man to reign over us. So you can see the Lamb prophesied and typified. Come with me to the banks of the Jordan. There's John, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he doing? He's baptizing by total immersion. That's the only 
baptism that our Bible knows anything about. Baptism by total immersion. John looks out over the heads of those who were gathered one day, and he sees his cousin, according to the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ walking toward him. And as the Lord Jesus came, John, like every other faithful preacher, turns their attention away from him, and he points their attention to Christ. And he uses these amazing words. Behold the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb identified. He's being picked out now from all the teeming millions of humanity that had lived in this world. There was only one that was the Lamb of God, and that was Christ. And listen to what John said he had come to do, which taketh away the sin of the world. You know, friends, sometimes I come up against a statement like that, and I'd love to be able to expound or explain it, but I can't. How do you explain the sin of the world? That wretched, wretched thing that came in in Eden, when by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, wherefore death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, friends, death is the king of terrors and the terror of kings. We've known all about that in this land of ours, in these islands over the past year, when we lost Her Majesty the Queen. Gone on into eternity now, and all of the offices and whatever that she had are all left behind. You take nothing with you. Only what you've done in the service of Christ. Soon this life will be over and past. Only that which is done for Jesus will last. I say to you tonight in the meeting, if you want to do something proper and good and upright and noble and rewardable in your life, make sure that you hand it over to the Savior. Make sure, because that's a life, he makes life worth living. He makes death worth dying, and he makes eternity worth facing. Jesus Christ makes a difference. But there's the lamb now identified, picked out from all the teeming mass of humanity as God's lamb who had come to take away the sin of the world. I remember years ago, friends, I was conducting a gospel mission in the city of Belfast. This comes to my mind just. And I was preaching one night in the meeting on John 3 and 16. And we got to that statement, for God so loved the world. And during the time that I was speaking on that, I tried to picture as best I could for the people who were there what sin had done in the world. There's a dear old sister there called Maggie. I can see her yet. She lived in one of these back street houses in Belfast off Apsley Street yonder. And it was one where you go in and I think there was just the one bedroom upstairs and 
a, a room in a kitchen down below, something like that. And in tears, she rose and went out of the meeting. And I couldn't understand that. I was scared that I had said something to annoy her or to offend her in some way. And so when the meeting was over, I said to the pastor, I said, look, what about going around to where Maggie lives just to find out what happened there tonight? No, he said, I'm not going. He said, you go. He said, it was you who was speaking. Therefore, if there's a problem, you need to put it right. Of course, I had no intention of doing anything else. But when I went round to the house, the door was lying open. And I knocked. And I heard this voice shouting, come on in, I was waiting on you. I knew you'd come. And I went in and old Maggie was sitting. She was sitting with a shawl over her head. Looking into the fire. And she was rattling a poker up and down the bars like this. And I can see her yet. And she was still weeping. I said, Maggie, what on earth happened in the meeting tonight? What did you do or did I do to stir a reaction like that in you? She looked at me and she said, Harvey, it wasn't really anything that you'd done. It was more or less the things you were saying. She said, you were describing the world and the mess that sin had made. And the fact that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And I was waiting to hear what on earth was wrong with this, you see. But there wasn't really anything. Because she then went on to say this. She said, I had one son. Only one. And he came in here one night and we had a cup of tea together and he said, Mum, I'm going up to bed. She said, he went out into the hall there and I heard a thud. And when I went out, he was lying in a pool of blood. He had taken what they call an aneurysm and in the hallway, he bled to death. He died. Sad sight. Hard to handle. But she said, when I was sitting in the meeting, I was asking myself the question, could I have sent my boy into a world like that to die and suffer for sinners like me? And she said, I came to the conclusion I couldn't. She said, I felt so hypocritical. She said, I couldn't sit in a meeting anymore. I got up and I left. I assured her that the reaction was probably quite normal. Who could have done that? Campbell Morgan was a fantastic expositor and preacher, Dr. Campbell Morgan. One night he too was preaching on John 3 and 16. And he looked over the congregation of men and women gathered and he said this. He said, men and women, I have eight sons and I wouldn't give one of them for any of you. He spake as an honest man. But he said, God hadn't eight or seven or six or five 
or four or three or two. He only had one. He spared not his only son, but freely delivered him up for us all. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. If you want to be saved tonight, friend, all you have to do is turn from your sin and behold the Lamb. There is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee. There's the Lamb typified. But when you come to the four Gospels, my friend, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the end of each one of them, you have another picture of the Lamb. Do you see how we're sliding through the Bible? And we're finding this theme of the cross is everywhere. But at the end of the Gospels, you have the Lamb crucified. What? A solemn scene that was. Crucified. They nailed. As you sit there, my friends, just think about it. They nailed my Lord upon the tree and left him dying there. Through love he suffered there for me. Twas love beyond compare. Crucified, crucified, and kneeled upon the tree with pierced hands and feet and side for you, for me. My friends, Jesus didn't die for crimes that were his own, for he had none. None whatever. That can be proved Beyond a doubt, if you trace through the experience of the centurion, you remember how the three of them, the Lord Jesus and the two thieves, were brought to the place of crucifixion and execution. And I'm perfectly sure that those two thieves were not easily crucified. They would fight and kick and curse against their persecutors, with all the power they could muster. But the Lord Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep, before her shearers is done, so he opened not his mouth. And when they stripped every stitch of clothing of his body and laid him out on that cross and began to nail him to it, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The centurion had never seen anything like this. He had never heard anything like this. And he turned round and he said, truly, this was a righteous man. But my friend, if I was to ask you in the meeting tonight, why the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, I wonder what answer you would give me. Well, I'll give you the answer that the Bible gives. He was crucified for you, and he was crucified for me. Died he for me, who caused him pain, 
for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? When you go into the Revelation, you have the Lamb magnified, made to look magnificent in all his glory. Father, I will, he prayed, rather, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And that prayer is fulfilled in all its glorious reality. Yonder, in the early parts of the revelation, when he's seen as the Lord in the midst of the church, the Lamb in the midst of the throne, the Lion in the midst of the nations, the Lover in the midst of the marriage feast, and the, the Lamp in the midst of eternal glories. Never forget, the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's who it is. But when you come to the end of that book, you have the Lamb glorified. Yes, set forth for all to see and admire and for all to know that King of Kings and Lord of Lords is his name. But even then, Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour a factual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Yes, the lamb was God's centerpiece. The cross is there from Genesis to Revelation. But the cross, my friend, was God's masterpiece. That's what we see in the verse that I read to you tonight. God forbid that I should glory, said Paul, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you tail that to its ultimate limits tonight, who but God would have justified the ungodly? and did it through an old rugged cross. Who but God would have taken away our sin as he has done, and he did it through an old rugged cross. You go back into history tonight, and you see how men handled those who rebelled against their ideas and their notions and their rule. They were hung, they were shot, and so on. Men, man's inhumanity to man was terrible altogether. But my friends, when you come to the cross, my, I tell you, God looks magnificent. What's he saying to the world? He's saying this, to the world of sinners lost, and ruined by the fall to you and I in the meeting tonight. He's saying, I made man. And so he did. I don't go for this evolutionary theory or anything of the sort. Biggest nonsense ever heard. Once I was a tadpole beginning to begin. Then I became a frog with my tail tucked in. 
then a monkey up a banana tree, and now a professor with a PhD. You believe that, you believe anything. You see, it's far more simple to believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in the cross, what he was saying to the world, what he was saying to man, and what he was saying to you and I in this meeting was this, I made man, and he did, from the dust of the ground. Man has gone wrong and badly, miserably, terribly wrong. And I will accept responsibility for everything that man has done. And that's exactly what he did. You may be here a Christian tonight. Well, as you sit in the meeting, friend, you should lift your heart to God and say, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. And if you're a non-Christian tonight in the meeting, you should come just now and thank God for sending his son into the world that you might live eternally. God doesn't want you in hell or the lake of fire. God does not want you to experience eternal wrath. He wants you to be in heaven throughout eternal ages with him and with the redeemed for all eternity. That's the wish of God. I want to tell you tonight, if that's not where you are, then you're outside the will of God for you. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if you're not saved tonight, you're outside what God wills for you. He will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And much more we could say there about the cross being God's masterpiece. But let me come to the final thing tonight. That is the cross will be on God's mantelpiece forever, out there in eternity. It will blaze out and it will shine out, the cross, throughout ages eternal. The cross will never be forgotten. How could God ever forget it? He never will. How could Christ ever forget it? He never will. How could the Holy Spirit ever forget it? He never will either. How could the angels ever forget it? They never will either. And how will the believers ever forget the cross? We never will. Do you know there's only five things in heaven tonight that are man-made? And those are the wounds that he received in the house of his friends. He was wounded in the hands he was wounded in his feet. He was wounded in his side. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour of factual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. My time's gone. I wonder tonight, friend, as you're here in the meeting, can I be very personal with you and ask you, are you heading for heaven tonight? I had the solemn responsibility of attending the funeral of two men this week who were both alive last Lord's Day evening. 
And tonight they're gone out into eternity. Nobody expected it, but it happened. It's time to prepare. It's time to get ready. It's time you were saved. What think ye of Christ is the test? To try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. Can you say tonight, he's altogether lovely. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. If you're concerned or troubled tonight, remain behind and have a chat to us at the end of the meeting just now. And if you prefer to talk to our brother here or someone else that you may know better than me, I don't mind that at all. Sometimes it's a lot easier to talk to someone with whom you're familiar. But if you require help tonight, friend, don't put it off. For the moment you go out through that door, the old devil will come and he'll snatch away the good seed of the word. And the whole thing could be lost. Maybe you along with it. So you don't want that to happen. Stay and talk to us. We're your servants for Christ's sake. Thank you so much for listening so well. Let's go to our hymn book for a closing hymn tonight. I was looking to see if this hymn was in the book. And strangely enough, when I opened the book, I opened right at it. 453. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. How true are the words of this hymn.